Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. Given everything that's going on with Roe versus Wade in the United States, abortion is an issue very much on the front pages. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation for our listeners about the ways in which what's going on in the States is either similar or different to what's going on in Israel. And in order to have that conversation, I invited Dina Shalev, who is the director of La Da'at, which means in English, choose well. We'll hear more about the organization in a second, to tell us a little bit about the whole issue of abortion in Israel. So first of all, Dina, thank you for taking the time. And uh, tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into this field of work, and then a little bit about La Da'at, when it was founded, what it does, and all of that. Okay, so thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Dina. Um, I grew up in a moshav called Bet Gamliel in Israel. Which is where? Um, it's somewhere near Yavne, very small, um, in a modern Orthodox community, um, which is an interesting fact as I gone to do what I do today. Um, and I grew up in the Dati community my whole life um, and studied for my first degree. When I went to university, I started psychology, working with children at risk for a few years. Um, and then going forward to my second degree, we moved here to Jerusalem. And as I was taking my time to figure out what I want to do after the first degree, I started volunteering in this small, cute organization called Ladat. I was looking for something feministic, um, working with women, and I found this, and it was it looked good, um, and I fell in love with it. I started as a volunteer in the counseling center, which I'll I will also tell you more about. Um, while working there, I had two kids, and I've I've been there for almost ten years now. Uh, started as a volunteer, then after six months, when I realized that that was my most like thing I was most passionate about in my life. Luckily, the position of the counseling center manager freed up. And I applied for it and I got in. I did that for four years while studying for my master's degree in social work. At Hebrew U, right? At Hebrew U, yeah. yeah. Um, and in 2018, I was offered the position of the director of the organization. That's what I've been doing since. Um, I love it. It's like most of what I... Usually when I speak about myself, I speak about Ladat. We're very much enmeshed. <laughs> so what does it do, Ladat? Um, so what we do is we are the, we're based in Jerusalem. We work. We do work all over Israel, mostly on our online and, and like phone calls and stuff. Um, and generally, we promote reproductive rights and healthy sexuality. Um, and the way we do it, we try and do it in, the, in a multidimensional way. We don't only have the one project. So we have the one-on-one project, which is counseling. We have volunteers working in a counseling center in Hebrew and in Arabic. Um, the Arabic department is new. We opened it just over a year ago. 
giving counseling to teenagers, women, couples, whatever, um, to do with um, contraception, sexuality in general, and a lot of our counseling is also to do with unplanned or unwanted pregnancies. Very similar to Planned Parenthood. Often when I want to explain what we do, it's similar uh, minus the medical um, part of it. Um, another field that we work in is sex education. Um, sex education isn't mandatory in Israel. Uh, schools that want to do it, and, and teachers don't have training for it. So if a school wants to bring in sex education, he'll usually use an outside organization to do it. So an Israeli kid could go through a high school, even at a decent high school, and have no exposure to sex nothing, education? Nothing. Maybe. Usually, I mean, they'll get, like, on sixth grade, the girls will have class about, like, their period. And that but nothing can be about it. contraception and sexuality? Not mandatory. So the non-religious schools will usually have something. Religious schools sometimes won't have anything. Maybe they'll have classes to do with, like, it's called... Uh, um, family, uh, in Hebrew. It's like things to do with like uh, nida and, and stuff like that, but nothing really about what they're exposed to or what they're experiencing. Um, so that's a lot of what we do. It's a big part of our work that we do mostly in Jerusalem area. By going to schools? Going to schools, mostly secular. This year we've already, thankfully, passed our, our yearly goal. We've already done almost 700 workshops in Jerusalem wow. and the area for schools. Um, out, out of school programs, we do a lot of work with like uh, um, teenagers just before the army when they take the gap year before the army. And we also work with teachers and parents. Um, and we just started doing workshops in Arabic as well this year. So we've already done about 20 workshops in East Jerusalem, which is for people who know East Jerusalem, it's amazing. Um, also trained a staff, they're all from East Jerusalem. Like the, so they're Arabs from Arabs East Jerusalem? from East Jerusalem giving sex education to Arab kids from East Jerusalem. Obviously in Arabic. In Arabic, which is amazing. In what kind of circumstances? We'll come back to the Arab thing yeah, a little we'll bit later, that, but yeah. they're doing it in schools? Or are they doing some it? in schools and some in outside of school programs. We actually did one, I mean, it's very hard. I didn't think we'd get there this year, but I have an amazing staff, so we managed to do it. Um, so that's a big part of what we do. And, and I think the third leg is more um, community outreach, social, with a lot of work on social media, Facebook and Instagram, soon TikTok. Wow. Um, and we do also advocacy and policy change, which is a lot of what we're talking about today, I think. Right. So let's talk about policy a little bit. Um, we're we're going to focus on the specifically the one part of it, which is the abortion issue, because that's yeah. the Roe v. Wade issue. Not that the other issues aren't critically important. Mm -hmm. They are. Um, so first of all, just give our listeners a bit of a background. What's the law in Israel on abortion? If somebody is in an unwanted pregnancy, what's the process? What's the numbers? The whole shebang. Okay, so in Israel, by law, abortions are illegal. This is, it's, it's very important to use the terminology. Um, 1978, there was a law made under the penalty law saying that abortions are illegal unless you qualify on a certain criteria, which then the law... Um, specifies. So they are illegal, illegal unless you qualify. Exactly. So that's, I mean, it doesn't affect much in practice, but the political issue, I mean, I'm putting that, that's maybe the beginning of the conversation we'll have. Politically, it's still considered illegal. Um, and then any woman who wants to have an abortion, no matter what reason, has to come in front of a committee. This is also within the law. Uh, the committee is composed by um, a social worker, a gynecologist, and another doctor one of whom must be female. Um, and 
then she will come in front of the committee and they will see if she passes from one of the criteria. So what are the criteria? No, so the criteria are age, if she's under 18 or over 40. Then she can automatically basically... Automatically, she's approved. And how quickly does that happen? An 18-year-old finds out she... Or 17-year-old finds or out she's pregnant. 14-year-old. Whatever, yeah. okay, but whatever. Somebody under 18 finds out she's pregnant, obviously, or not obviously, but she decides she wants to terminate the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. She decides she wants to go to a committee. How quickly is she going to get an appointment and how quickly is she going to get an answer and how quickly is she going to have an abortion? So this is one of the issues we are trying to work to change. Because it does delay the process. Because by the time, I mean, you can, it has to be in a, a public hospital if you want the funding. Um, so she will have to make an appointment for the committee. That can take a week, depending okay. also where you live. If you live like down south or up north where there aren't that many hospitals, it can take longer. If you live in Tel Aviv, it's a bit easier. Um, and then that can take a week. And then after the committee, it can also take up to a week, sometimes more, depending on, you know, the backlog in the hospital, how fast she'll get her appointment to do it. So you can realize you're pregnant very early on and still it can take up to two weeks. So you have the the minimum until you actually have the procedure because of the bureaucracy you have to go through. Um, so if we go back to the criteria, we have the age one. Um, the other one is marital status or pregnancy status which that in there there's a lot of things it's generally if you're not married so single divorced or a widow and if the pregnancy is a result of um it's called in hebrew yachasim asurim which means right, so out of wedlock or... yeah and also if there's if there's something uh um like a criminal about the pregnancy which means incest rape and, so and in all so, of those cases, you're automatically approved, basically. Again, yes, you're approved. Um, you still have to come in front of the committee. But those, appro- so it means a lot of women get approved. And then the other two criteria are the medical ones. So if there's a risk for the mother's health or if there's a risk for the fetus's health. And we're pretty liberal when it comes to giving approvals, even for quite low statistics. In Israel, there's a lot of, um, some people would say maybe unnecessary abortions. I won't judge, but I mean, even if there's like a 10% chance for deficiency, they will, um, they usually will approve. What percentage of women who go to these committees get approved for the procedure? 99.8. 99.8. More or less. Over, yeah, I mean, I think 2020, 2020 which is the latest uh, st- stats we have, is I think 99.6 or 99.8. Very high. I mean, it's almost everybody. Almost everybody. And also, generally speaking, the only women who don't pass the committee are married women. If you're married in Israel, you can't legally have an abortion unless um, you either lie. And, and say that it was out of wedlock yeah, and or something say that, like that. And they usually will approve that to you without many questions. Or if you bring a medical reason, in which if you don't have an actual medical reason, you can bring a letter from a psychiatrist saying that the pregnancy is causing you mental distress and then you will be approved on the medical reason. Now, are these abortions all first trimester abortions? What's the issue in Israel in terms of how far along a person can be? So the regular committees are up to 24 weeks. So that's much more than the much first more. trimester. Yeah. And um, after 20... Half. Yeah, it's, even, it's, it, it's when the fetus is viable. They cu- 24 is the cutoff because then a fetus is viable. Over 24, you can still get an abortion in Israel. But you need to go through a special committee, which is a bit higher up in the hierarchy of, in the hospital. And usually that would almost always be uh, medical reasons. Things that you can only discover problems with a fetus later on in the abortion. When you're in full term, these are usually very tragic uh, abortions. Um, and we do know from the same statistics of 2020 is that 
about 85% of women will have their abortion in the first trimester. So we know women usually find out early, they know they don't want the pregnancy, and they do something about it. I mean, most women don't go further on in the, in, into term and suddenly decide they don't want the, right. the pregnancy anymore. Okay, so we started out, you said, basically, according to the law, technically, abortion in Israel is illegal. Mm-hmm. If you want to have it, you have to go through this procedure process with the committee and so on and so forth. But another way of saying it is it's illegal, but 99.8% of the women who apply through the legal process to have an abortion are approved and have the process and have the procedure. Yeah. So it's like on one hand, it's illegal. And on the other hand, it's very legal in the sense that almost nobody gets turned away. And it's very accessible. I mean, the thing about the abortions in Israel is that committee is mostly a rubber stamp. And then we ask ourselves the question, if everyone's approved, why do we need the committee? Why put women through this bureaucratic hell? And this sometimes it can be very um, demeaning. And Is the committee demeaning? It could be. It depends. I mean, it really depends who you go to, what mood they woke up in this morning. I mean, I've met, I've, I've met thousands of women. I mean, we've helped thousands of women through this process, also close friends. For some of them, it was an okay experience. For some of them, they were yelled at. They were criticized. They were told, um, I don't know, you're 30. You should have the baby. You know, think about it, kind of. Or, if they were unmarried or... Yeah, even if they're unmarried, don't, won't your boyfriend marry you? You know, these really like... Or, or, you know, telling them off about not using contraception and how irresponsible they are. So, it, I mean, it's like a Russian roulette. Who you'll get to, you know, if you're the first woman they've seen today or the 10th woman they've seen today. And... All right, so there are horror stories, but I mean, I'm asking, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make an argument, I have yeah. no idea, but on average, is it an okay experience? I think when we ask women um, in Israel what the worst part of the abortion process is, for them, most of them will say the committee, because they're very stressed about it. They don't all know that they'll definitely pass. You know, you, they tell a woman, I mean, people don't know about this law. I mean, unless you've gone through it or you've, you're like me in the field, you don't really hear about it. We'll talk about how much it's not so much of an issue. And then, you know, women, they hear they need to go through a committee. Then they're scared. Maybe they won't pass it. There's a lot of anxiety. And all, as we said, the prolonging of the process, you know, and waiting for the committee and whatever can be very stressful for them. And then sometimes it's an okay experience. Sometimes it's a terrible experience. But for most of them, it's often the most stressful part in the whole procedure, not the abortion itself. But having to talk to three people that you don't know about exactly. why and then, you're pregnant and all that. And then the people who will say, but the committees are important because they're there to support women or they're there to help them, you know, if they need to discuss it with someone, we'll often say, you know, I'd always ask the person saying that to me. I'll say, okay, if you have this big life decision you need to make now, who do you consult with? And they'll say, oh, someone I trust, you know, my partner, my parents, my rabbi, whatever. Will you want to go to random three strangers and, and see what they have to say about it? Of course not. So, right. so there's a whole, like, rationality that people are giving the committees as, like, you know, giving women a chance to think about it or whatever. But in a sense, it's just kind of edu- like giving, get, getting women told off, you know, let's make the process painful so you don't do it again, like... Women enjoy having abortions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's a little complicated. Illegal, yeah. but 99 point something get approved. But the process can be very unpleasant. Anywhere from benign, let's say, it can't be a positive experience. So exactly. anywhere from benign to probably very uncomfortable, very unpleasant. Now, this is all if you want to 
have the procedure done in a government-funded hospital. So you go in and it's all the costs are covered. Yeah, uh, and you said before that, that Ladat is somehow analogous, except for the medical part, to Planned Parenthood. Right. Now, if we were sitting in the States and I was interviewing somebody from Planned Parenthood, almost invariably, the conversation would meander to the organizations that are pushing back on Planned... Let's leave the whole court system out for yeah. a second all the organizations that are pushing back on Planned Parenthood, the quote-unquote pro-life organizations. Are there pro-life or something analogous to that organizations in Israel, and who are they? So there are a few. Um, it's interesting. The whole issue of pro-life, pro-choice, it's, it's interesting how you can say it. I mean, I could call it pro or anti-choice, or, you know, pro-choice and anti-choice, but... Um, but in America, but yeah, nobody's no, against everything. Pro everybody's life. pro for something, yeah. either pro life or pro, or pro choice. choice. So nobody's yeah, against so. anything. Right. Uh, but it's interesting because the, when you think pro life, then you automatically think you know pro death, not right. pro choice. It's it's a very I mean it's always fascinating right. to me, the, the discourse about it in America. Yeah. Um, in Israel, there's a few organizations. Um, there's a very like well known one called Efrat. Um, which their title is the organizations to, uh, in Hebrew it's idud yiluda, to, uh, you know, promote, encourage birth. encourage birth for the Jewish people, you know. Um, they work like, you know, the Holocaust, we lost millions of, of people from the Jewish uh, um, community, and we are working to help you know, more families and more children to be born. Um, de facto, they are pro-life, which means they will like advertise that they give counseling to women when it comes to abortion, like if they're thinking about it, but they will do everything in their power to convince her not to have the abortion. Mostly what they offer is financial aid. If you ask me, not enough to have, I mean, I have two children, it's nothing. Uh, but they say, you know, they have like plastered um, uh, all sorts of like uh, commercials, mostly in Tel Aviv, about, you know, for money, you don't have an abortion. And you know, your your kid can be the next, uh, the person who will... I think, I'm, I'm sure Americans know the terminology of the way organizations manipulate women. Um, they're, they're more known for what they do. They're not trying to change the law, though, right? So it's interesting. If you ask them, they're also pro-canceling uh, the committees. But why? They will say that they're pro-choice. But in, the, in a way, the law as it is today actually gives a hechsher for abortions because it does approve. And once the state has approved, then, you know, the, they've said it. And if they won't have committees, they will be able to pressure women more, like trying to get them not to have abortions. Well, how would they know? If, I, if there's no committee and a woman gets pregnant and she wants to terminate the pregnancy, presumably she would call up the kupat cholim, her HMO, yeah. and she would make an appointment. So how would a frat get involved in that? So they they work in a different way than us. Um, we, for instance, will only contact a woman if she contacts us herself. We will, ne- I mean, and they usually get tipped off. So it will By be whom? As, it can even be workers in the in the kupot cholim. Wow. Or in the hospitals, it can be family members who call them up and tell them, "Listen, please get my niece, daughter, friend to not have an abortion." And they will probably, I mean, I think this is like the backlash we're worried about. Still want to change the law. But like what we need to get ourselves ready to is we might have more of these clinics popping up nearby to hospitals or to medical centers trying to persuade women otherwise. Um, if I are the most known ones, but there actually are at least two more organizations 
that are even more radical in Israel. Um, one of them is called Lilach, and another one is under an organization called Hidabrut. They are more, much more similar to the Christian organizations working in America. Also, the funding for them are mostly from evangelistic Christians in America. In other words, the funding for these organizations in Israel yes. is evangelical Christian evangelical, money coming yeah. from America. Yeah. Also, again, because they want also because they're against abortions and also because they believe you know the Jewish people and um, so they're funding these organizations which have a much more aggressive. Like, I just saw a, a newish um, commercial of them. It runs on YouTube about, like, how 40,000 babies are murdered a year and, like, these also very big numbers. And they have these websites sh websites showing, like, you know, fetuses. Like, this is what your baby looks like at six weeks. And then there's a 20-week, you know, a pregnancy ultrasound. And, and all these things, they're getting more aggressive and I think when we're talking about the connection between what's happening in the States today and what's happening in Israel, I fear we'll be feeling more of the influence, pro-life discourse in Israel much more. But because of Christian influence? Yes, and I think also like there's some right wings. We've, we've already heard like Smotrich talking about it at an occasion. And I mean, we do have the more like conservative right wing parties, the religious ones. Well, kind of, it's a kind of, a, they go together a lot of mm -hmm. times. But not in any way like in America where abortion has become a political hot potato. No, not as bad. Not as bad, but it can, as it is not hardly a political issue today, it can turn into a more of a political issue in Israel. Um, I think we as the organizations that work to change the law, we've always feared. I mean, we were kind of like, don't rock the boat. Right leave it as it is, but we kind of come to a point in which also the people, I mean, most women and most people think like it's ridiculous that we have to go through these committees and we are trying to change the law, but still very mindful of the, you know, we're worried you open it up, it can go either way. Right. I don't think we'll ever be like, like the States though, um, because this is a Jewish state and, and, and Judaism looks at abortion very differently than the way Christianity does. We'll never find ourselves in that situation. Um, but it is worrying. So let's just compare ourselves to the States in one other way for one second. Mm -hmm. um, rates of abortions. I mean, where is Israel? I mean, how many, you know, abortions per 100,000 women? How many abortions per how many pregnancies? Where are we in the OECD list? So we're pretty, we're pretty low. In other words, um, there are fewer abortions per capita and per pregnancy. Yeah, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, there were... I think in Israel it was... Um, 13.9 yeah. abortions per 100,000 women. Yeah. And the United States, this is 2020 numbers, 20.8. So we're 14 and they're 20.8. So it's, it's, it's 14 versus 21. So we're yeah. slightly more than half of what America is. Yeah, and also, according to, like, compared to Britain, I know we're much less. I mean, even when it comes to the OECDs, we're considered quite low. And why is that? I think we're also more of a conservative community. I mean, I think we have less, and we're also very pronatal, so people will maybe often keep pregnancies, um, and higher rates of use of contraception. Which and, in turn is a function of its accessibility and education, or? Yeah, better than it was. Um, and the morning after pill is pretty accessible in Israel. I mean, you can just buy it off, off calendar. And, you don't need a prescription? No. So it makes it much easier 
I mean, and we're, we're seeing less unwanted pregnancies, and it's going down every year. Well, if there's a, if the morning after pill, you can just walk into a pharmacy and buy it. Mm-hmm. Why would any of these women have to go to the committee? They could just say to their partner, let's just go to the pharmacy and I'll get the pill. Well, that only works right after intercourse. If you're already pregnant, that won't work. It only works like within a few hours after? Yeah, like 72 hours. I see. So, okay. But it is good because most people, they know. I mean, they'll know exactly when it happened. Right. But they may not do a pregnancy test for a week. Exactly. So, so a lot, I mean, we are preventing unwanted pregnancies more. Um, and it's also very interesting because we were talking about funding before. And this is, again, another case I usually say, you know, when I want to explain why women don't just go around, like, have abortions for fun. Um, 2014, by miracle... Uh, abortions came into the, it's called Salabriot in Israel. It's like all the, the medications and procedures that are funded. And at 2014, it used to be up to age 19 it was funded, and it was extended to age 33. So also most women, if they go, if they don't go through the private sector, if they go through the public service sector, it will be funded. And then they said they were worried, the people who were worried about the law, they said, now it'll be free, then they'll be, women will be having more abortions because they don't need to worry about the financial factor. And we see it's been going down every year since. I mean... So the opposite happened. The opposite. And it's it's just... I mean, you have to... I mean, put the funds, all the money we're use, you know, wasting on, you know, funding contraception and having better sex education, um, then we'll, we'll see the abortion rates going further down. And if a woman does it privately, what's the cost in Israel? So it depends. There's two ways to do it privately. You can do it privately legally, which means you still go through a committee... They have to. There's a few centers in Israel that um, Ministry of Health approve, and you go through a committee, but it's much more sympathetic. It's like easy, and they'll do it all in the same day. So it's, I mean, I often say if you have the means, it's a better way to have an abortion. Again, just makes it more like the the depth of the differences in socioeconomical status and and where you live and whatever, because you can get a better better health care for money, which is you know, yep. it's a known fact. Um, so if you go through the private and approved sector, it's like 2,500 shekels. Okay. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. Even on Israeli terms, it's exactly. not so bad. Exactly. It's not so bad. It can maybe come up to 3,000, even if you do it through the, if you're not like uh, eligible for funding, if you're over 33, that's more or less what it will cost. Okay. And then there's the non-approved private sector, which then you can just go to a guy, there's some gynecologists who do it. Then they can charge whatever they want. What do they charge? I've heard 4,000, 5,000 shekels, cash under the counter, you know. And that is illegal, but the the state, the police, nobody really pursues anything there, right? They don't do much. Unless something goes wrong. You know, everyone kind of knows about it. Um, and also the person, again, as opposed to like things happening in the States now, the person who's like... Um, can be like uh, indicate like what's implicated yeah as the doctor not the woman right so if there's um, any risk of being assumed it's the doctor not yeah the, the doctor's taking the, the risk on himself but i mean i have to say it's not these doctors aren't it's not the romantic you know doctors helping women it's, it's just the money very thing. financial sometimes they'll even like tell them i've heard of doctors saying to women listen you won't pass the committee you know come i'll, I'll take care of it come next week and and then they speak to us and we say you're 25 and single you're passing the committee and it's free kind of so they are exploiting it some of them um but i know a lot of women who would rather do that a lot of the married women that's what they do because they don't want to lie 
right? Because if they lie, they could go to the committee and say it was an out of it was an adulterous thing, yeah. and whatever. Their husbands go to these committees typically. Sometimes they can go, but we've we usually tell women. I mean, we advise them against doing that because we have heard of some uh, cases in which women did that and then they got divorced. And then they go in Israel, if you want to get divorced, you go through the rabbinical system. And the husband said, oh, she was adulterous. She even had an abortion. And there's a record of this in the committee. They could find the record if they need, or if not, it's his word against terrorism. We know where that goes. Right, in Israeli um, courts, right. So so we usually will advise them again. So a lot of the married women who have means, it's easier for them to just go privately. I mean, I understand them completely. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you're based in Jerusalem. I work all over the country, obviously, but you're based in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a fascinating city demographically uh, because it has... Uh, very large ultra-Orthodox Haredi population, and it has a very, very large uh, Arab population, especially mm-hmm. in East Jerusalem. Tell us just a little bit about the culture of abortion, contraception, sex education, etc. in these communities. What's the direction that it's moving in? Are there lots of abortions in these communities, etc.? So I think the first answer is it's very hard to know. In general, the whole like reproductive health is something very under researched in Israel. In general, I mean, if we, I have a friend who's doing her doctorate in public health, and she's trying to, you know, see. She was test like um, researching, you know, women's use of contraception, and there's hardly any researches of what kind of contraception women use and where they come from, and so we don't know a lot. But we do know from also the people who come to us um, when it comes to sexual education, it's non-existent. In, in the Haredi community, nothing. For boys or girls, I'm assuming. Really hard. They, they've they started, there's a, an, a, like a positive change towards talking about um, sexual assaults. Because mm. this is a big problem in this community. Well, I know it was recently a huge yeah, there's, issue there's in the more, Haredi And they're community. doing more, and they're talking more with the children, which is amazing. Again, the Haredi community is so complex, and it depends where, in, you know... Some are completely nothing, some are more open. Right, it's not monolithic. The people outside, they exactly. all look the same, but they're by no means monolithic. Um, but there's more of that. And we get quite a lot of women, or even husbands, sometimes calling us about contraception um, to get advice because there are a lot of issues when it comes to halachic reasons, you know, what you can use, what you can't, when you can start using. Um, but we see similar things in the end, quite similar to what we see in other populations. Not so much when it comes to abortion. That's not talked about at all. The rate of abortion in the Haredi community is lower? I think so. It's not even something they ask in the statistics. So we don't even know, like, from all the st- stats we have, we don't quite know where women come from. Okay. We know where they were born. If We know Ethiopian women have a higher rate of abortions. Because they use birth control less? Probably. And also they're usually from a lower socioeconomic So uh, it's harder background. for them to afford more yeah. children. Um, but and also sometimes quite a patriarchal community. So I think that's something we can say in a lot of communities when it's when it's very patriarchal. Um, we will see less formal abortions and more dangerous abortions, and and less autonomy of women like to choose you know how many babies to have and whatever. Um, I can talk more about East Jerusalem because we have been working a lot there. East Jerusalem in the Arab community. In the Arab community. Um, there we see it's very interesting. Um, abortion is still very taboo. Also, you know, the whole issue of childbirth, it's like you're, for a lot of women, that's their strength. That's their commodity. You know, how many children they have. 
Um, but we are seeing in the younger generation much more interest in contraception and in sexual health in general. Um, and they're talking about it more. We can see that from our groups. It's much harder working with the older ones. The problem about East Jerusalem is their healthcare system is very problematic. It's privatized. It's through Kupat Cholim, but it's privatized and it's for profit. So we're working a lot about on this uh, in, in Ladakh now, but what we see is, is women are scared to go to their health providers in East Jerusalem asking for contraception or even talking about abortion because they're scared their doctor will tell their families about it. There's no like patient doctor confidentiality. Now, if a woman in East Jerusalem is part of an Israeli HMO, can she just go to a doctor in West Jerusalem or she has to use the East Jerusalem? By law, she can go anywhere. Uh, practically, she usually won't go. Also because of language and transport barriers. Right. And also because she doesn't know her rights. And her, her like, her kupat cholim in her neighborhood won't tell her that she can go and sometimes will make it difficult for her to go somewhere else. And they're still often scared it will come up on their, like, um, in their, what's it called? Medical, uh, medical records. records. Yeah. Um, so we do see... I don't know the numbers, but we know of, of you know women buying abortion pills in the black market, going, you know, it's like the terrible things we've seen here for years when it's actually free and accessible for them. It's terrible. And we see more and more of that. So more of that, not less of it. Yeah, sadly. I mean, when we want to take, just because we know more, I didn't think there is more, but we know more. Okay. Um, and... And also, like when it comes to contraception, if you're not married and you want contraception in East Jerusalem, most doctors won't give it to you. They real, really? Yeah, like the, imagine the '60s. Like it's a, it's very similar. So we we have a lot of issues when it comes to reproductive health, and trying to make it more accessible for women. Um, most of the doctors in East Jerusalem are Arab doctors. Yes, and some of them without Israeli license. So they're Jordanian or... Yeah, and they studied somewhere. They, I mean, we saw, like, the Minister of Health, they know about these things, but they don't actually do anything about it. Um, so they're also not as professional. Um, but we also help women come in and get abortions from, from like, the West Bank because it is completely illegal in the Palestinian uh, authorities. So we... Abortion is completely illegal in the Yeah, DA. I think, like, it's quite strict there. So often we'll now, especially now that we have an Arabic helpline, we'll get like calls from Ramallah or anywhere and we'll help them come into Israel and get a private abortion and go back, which is amazing. But yeah, it's a... Okay, so the, obviously <laughs> the people in the West Bank are just plain old, you know, regular full yeah. Palestinians. People in East Jerusalem are a mix. Somewhere they, in the middle. They're somewhere yeah. in the middle. They're not Israeli citizens. They can vote in municipal elections. They can't vote in national elections. Yeah. They have access to Israeli health care. But as you pointed out, it's a sort of Israeli health care, not full Israeli health care. Arabs in the Green Line are every bit as Israeli as you right. and I are. And what do we know about attitudes in the Arab community in Israel in general among Israeli Arabs? So I think... If I remember correctly, the, 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 I, I do remember correctly. The rates are going up. They're having more abortions than they used to, which is usually comes together with modernization and, you know. And, As um, women's educational educate, levels go up. Exactly. But and their birth still, rate is coming down, right? Their birth rate is coming down, but still they're much lower in percentage than, than Jewish women. I mean, when it comes to abortion, they're having much less abortion than Jewish women, but more than they used to. Um, it is something that is quite, I mean... It's still very taboo in the Arab community. It's something they don't, also don't want to discuss. And also, 
are very against. A few years ago, there was a ridiculous atzat um, chok. <laughs> Someone was trying to, to bring in a law, um, a Jewish and an Arab um, MK. I don't know if you've heard about it uh, when it was happening. And they were working together. They wanted to bring into the committee um, a rabbi or a kadi, like a, a religious authority. One of the, who should be one of these One of these three people, people in the committee. So there's yeah, a or a fourth a person. Social worker, gynecologist, another doctor. Yeah. Now you would add a religious authority. Yeah, to give religious guidance to whomever needs. And then when it came up in the committees, like I was actually there when they were talking about it. And we asked them again, if you have a halakh question, who will you go to? And he says, my rabbi. And so the point proven. I mean, would you go to a random rabbi that someone puts? I mean, why put this in? And there, I mean, this is the beginning maybe of the, of this discourse, the religious discourse when it comes to abortion in Israel. And, and the Arab MK was the same. He wanted, the reason he wanted someone there was to convince women not to have abortions. Um, in general, the committee's role was to, I mean, when it was funded, the, the role that they had, the instruction was to reduce abortion rates to convince women not to have abortions. This is one of the first things, and so far the only things, um, Nitzan Horowitz, who's the new health minister, he canceled that. So that's cool, uh, but that's about it okay. so far. <laughs> okay, so it's a, fascinating, it's a fascinating situation. It's much more complex probably than people realize, because as you yeah. pointed out, on the law, they're illegal. Yeah. De facto, everybody practically who applies to have one can have one. Yeah. Obviously, East Jerusalem and Palestinian Authority is a totally different ballgame, but we'll just talk about inside yeah. the borders of Israel. Um, we're very low in abortion in terms of relative to the OECD. We're very low in abortion relative to the United States. There is no discussion in Israel. Is there of making access to con to contraception more difficult. Is there a... No, no. Because that's becoming an issue in America. I mean, there's yeah. some people that think it's that after Roe v. Wade falls, if it does, that Griswold versus Connecticut... I mean, there's some discussion of this. Yeah. Could be another right to fall. That's not even anywhere on the horizon in Israel, is it? No, no, not at all. I mean, it's amazing what's happening in America. They kind of want them not to have access to sex education or uh, uh, contraception and... Not abortions either. I mean, it's, it's putting women in an impossible situation. And that's just not part of the culture here. No, not so much. Um, we are the thing about us is we're we're just very pronatal. So everything to do with family planning or you know contraception, abortion, just not discussed. It's not discussed. It's not you know promoted, um, but it's not denied. So I think that's an interesting. I mean. I think also when we talk about like the political issue in the base of abortion in Israel, when we talk about abortion or with the organizations, we're talking about the woman's autonomy, um, you know, the woman's right to choose. But we're, we're much more focused on that. And in America, I mean, the whole discourse is about, you know, the woman's right to choose like and the fetus's life. It's not so much something we're discussed here. It's more like, do women have autonomy or does the state need to intervene? Right, still so in America it. it's the woman or, or the fetus, and it's here a, it's the woman or, or the, the state, state, exactly, which is a whole different kind of discourse. Yeah, which thankfully so far has led to a very different reality on the ground. Exactly, much room for improvement and what to worry about down the road, but still nothing analogous to what's happening no, across it's the ocean. Much better. I was always saying, you know, I mean, now it's completely different. But before the whole situation now in the states, I would when I would try to explain to Americans what we do here, I'd say legally. The situation here is worse, but practically the situation here is much better. 
because in the end, abortions, once you go through the bureaucratical hurdle of actually getting the abortion, it's pretty accessible, it's funded, it's, it's kind of common. I mean, and everybody who wants it gets it, basically. Exactly. As opposed to America, that even when it was legal in Texas, there was maybe the one clinic in the whole state that did. I mean, so, and you would have to pay for it. And it's much harder to get an abortion in the States, even before this whole fiasco. Um, so, so it is interesting. It's a, it's a different issue, I think, when you, when you talk about the Israeli perspective. Hey, we're always um, we're always lambasting ourselves here in Israel. We're always, you know, criticizing yeah. ourselves for this or for that. If only we were like Switzerland, if only we were like Belgium, and this only like America and something else. This is actually one area where we're very happy not to be like Europe and very happy not to be like America. We're doing not too badly. Yeah. Uh, there's room for improvement, which will hopefully happen because of organizations like Lada'at and because of people like you who do the work that you do. So uh, for the work that you do on an ongoing basis and for taking the time to have this conversation today, I'm very grateful, as are our listeners, for all that you've taught us. And uh, we thank you and wish you a lot of success in the future. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.